Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. We delve deep into their stories, their struggles, and their triumphs. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. Hello there, welcome back to Soundstage Insider. We have a very exciting episode coming up for you today. We are talking about editing. Now this, I think, is a really fascinating subject because the editor has a huge amount of control over the finished product of a piece. And uh, we're talking with a fantastic editor today, Peggy Tashjian. She has worked on some incredible shows, really buzzy shows recently, particularly actually like uh, Shrinking, Apple TV Plus's Shrinking. We talked to Jim Froner, who was the cinematographer from Shrinking last time. And also one of my favorite shows of the last year, Only Murders in the Building. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, as well as more broadly editing. She has also worked on shows like American Horror Stories, RuPaul's Drag Race, Ratchet, a whole bunch of shows, and across genres as well. So she's incredibly experienced at working in a whole variety of styles of TV shows. So as I promised last time, I'm not going to draw this out. I'm going to go straight into the interview. I can't wait for you to listen to it. So... Here it is, our interview with Peggy Tashjian. I am very excited to talk to you today. I'm a big fan of Only Murders in the Building, and I can't wait to to talk to you about that. (laughs) Um, But before we get there, I'd love to know a bit more about your career and how you started as an editor. So how did you start your journey? Technically, I would say I started my journey in college, you know, just that you know, production class where you have to do a team project and everybody wanted to be the DP or the producer or the director. And I said, oh, I want to try being the editor. And I kind of realized very quickly how much control you have in the edit room and how you're you become the last say in everything. And I really enjoyed that part of the process of really polishing and finding cleaning up things that maybe didn't go great in production or finding ways to make a moment more impactful. And so I, yeah, I just, I learned editing in college and it just really stuck with me. Um, I started my career in uh, documentaries and unscripted reality shows. I did that for over 17 years. Um, And it, but it was, it was such a great place to really, really hone my craft and really learn how to think outside of the box in an edit, how to make a story out of something that maybe is not that interesting or that exciting, how to make it more exciting and more interesting. And really, I think it most of all helped my sense of story and how how to fully tell a story from like point A to, to the end. And yeah, so and then about six years ago, I had a friend, I was kind of looking for a career change. I was getting a little you know, I'd, I'd been doing reality, like I said, for over 17 years, and I just was looking for something different. And I had a friend that was working um, in the Ryan Murphy camp as a producer. And she said, I think it's time you try scripted, which I, I hadn't even considered before, to be honest. I just thought I love documentaries. I'm going to work in this space where things are real and things are about real people. But she she kind of made it sound really interesting. And I 
She hired me for one episode of 911 season two, or sorry, season one, episode two of 911. And I did that first episode and I loved it. I loved the process. I loved working with that team. I loved learning how to, you know, in unscripted, you don't have a script. So you're kind of making a lot of stuff up as you go along. And in scripted, some people might say it's either whether it's easier or harder, you do have a script to go to go from, but then your job becomes that much more important because you have to make it work, you know? So it's just really fun, kind of challenging a different part of my editing brain. And I just really loved it. She loved working with me and kind of just kept hiring me. So I, I worked there for a few years before uh, getting Only Murders. Wow, that's really interesting. I'd love to just sidetrack real quick and talk about the unscripted side of what you do. I'm fascinated to know, what do you get handed? And are you just, is it just a puzzle to figure out and try and create something? Or is there some kind of a narrative or what is it like? Yeah, it really depends on the show you're on. Like I've done things like Project Runway and RuPaul's Drag Race, where it's very obvious what each act is going to look like. This act, they're making the thing. In this act, they're presenting the thing. In this act, they're discussing the thing, you know. So those are are much more, they call them structured reality. So those are more, much more structured. You know what you're getting into. You have a finite amount of footage to look through for those hours of footage. But for something like a docu-follow like uh, Kardashians mm-hmm. or The Real World, they'll have a story team who kind of goes through the footage from the whole season and they figure out what each episode kind of main storyline is going to be or like main three storylines are going to be. And then they give you something they call a string out, which is just a very, very rough, very long, like maybe sometimes between an hour and two hour long edit of what that episode is going to look like. And then it's your job to shape it into that, you know, 40 minutes. Right. I see. Okay, cool. So very broadly speaking, are editors born or made? (laughs) Oh, good question. I, you know, I think about this all the time because I have a lot of people who ask me, you know, how to, how to break into editing or their assistants who've been assistants for a long time and are trying to figure out how to transition more into editing. I think a lot of it can be taught, but I think there's a lot of things that are just instinctual. You know, I grew up loving music. I don't play any instruments, but I was very, you know, went to a lot of shows, listened to a lot of bands. All my friends were musicians. And so I was always surrounded by music. And I think that musical background really helps me with my edits. I always feel like I just need to find the rhythm of the scene. And once I find that pacing and that rhythm, the rest kind of falls into place. And so I don't know that I can teach someone what that feels like. You know, for me, it's just very instinctual. You can definitely say, oh, we need a breath after she says that line, or I wouldn't start music there, things like that. You can give people specific notes, but I do find that some people just have the instinct for it, and some people have to work a lot harder at mastering it. It's funny you mentioned that about music because it was going to be my next question or a subsequent question that it it feels very musical. I'm from a musical background and that process of pacing seems kind yeah. of orchestral almost. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I I can't there's so much so many times where I'm cutting a scene and you know, it's it's the you know, it's also like the there's a whole um editing theory of like you know editing 
when people are blinking so they can't feel, you know, the cuts. And not that I do that, but I think about that all the time that I feel when the next cut should be like, if someone's hand is moving, I like, I need to let it finish moving before I can cut. Otherwise it just feels really jarring. And those are like little things that, yeah, there's a tempo or a rhythm to what they're doing that you take into your work. I also, score is so important as a part of editing and working with your composer and having a real sense of like when to, when to put music in, when to not have any music in. So that kind of goes hand in hand in helping you set the pace for your scene. And presumably, you know, your taste, right, is is key. Of course. (laughs) I mean, obviously, but creating that finished article is, is, you know, it's a bit like curating something, right? Your taste, and you can't necessarily define that or, like you say, teach why you would cut at a certain place. Yeah, I do. I I have a producer that I work with that's always talking about people's taste level. and, And I do think that that is something that you can't teach. But it is something that, you know, that's not to say that that person couldn't watch somebody else's episode and pick that up. They just might not come up with it themselves. And I guess once you've established like a structure or a, or a feel or a pace, it's probably easier to try and recreate that for subsequent. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, can you watch TV like a normal person now or? That's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. Um, yes and no. I mean, I'd like my favorite joke after my husband says like I'll, I'll watch a movie and he'll be like did you like it and I'll be like I have some notes <laughs> you know <laughs> like no you can't watch it straight but I can enjoy things that I haven't worked on you know I'm I'm in awe of a lot of the editing I see in tv these days there's so much good stuff out there and it's just so fun to see what everybody else is doing and there's so much that just feels really different you know like um the way something like Succession is cut versus our only murders, like it, they're just really different. And it's just fun to see the different styles out there. So I don't know, short answer, not really. Kinda. No, I can't watch. <laughs> yeah. But I can enjoy it. Well, it's, I guess you're enjoying it at a deeper level in, in a way, you know. You maybe, know. maybe. <laughs> I'm not picking apart every edit, that's for sure. I'm not, yeah. I'm not being super critical, but there's times where I'm like, oh, you didn't need that scene or stuff like that. And presumably you see things sometimes you're like, oh, I'd like to, oh, I should bring that into this. And it's inspirational too, right? Oh my God, so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we talked a lot about taste and about feel, but what specific skills do you need to learn to do what you do? Um, I mean, I work on Avid. I haven't really uh, used Premiere in a long time. We were on Final Cut Pro at some point, but, you know, in the olden days. But I've been on Avid, I mean, mostly for the last 10, 15 years. So that's definitely something you need to learn and learn all the intricacies of it. Um, There's a lot you can do in sound manipulation in Avid and picture manipulation in Avid that, um, you know, I think a lot of it will help, helps my cuts a lot. But they're definitely tricks I've learned in the last six years using uh, being inscripted. They're not stuff I necessarily use when I was in unscripted. So that's been really fun, kind of upping my my technical knowledge of Avid. I I don't really use any other software. I know the assistant editors have all sorts of plugins that they use for sound design, and we have the VFX editor um, on the last few shows I've worked on, so I haven't had to worry too much about VFX either, which has been nice because um, yeah. that's always intimidated me a little bit but 
it's nice to just be able to concentrate on picture when you're a picture editor. Yeah. And presumably organizational skills, you know, is pretty important. Oh, yeah. Oh, time management. Oh, all that stuff. Yeah, right. Of course. Yes. Organization, time management. Also, you have to have a little bit of a producer brain because you have to be able to keep track of a lot of things. Like I might have a VFX editor, but I also have to keep track of all the VFX. Who's working on what and when are we going to get it? And will we have it in time for this next output and that kind of stuff? You have to have great communication skills because you've got to give notes to the assistant editor if there's things you want them to do. You have to communicate with your composer to talk about what a scene should feel like. I think it's actually a lot of people skills. I know there's so many jokes about editors just like hiding in their caves <laughs> editing, but I spend as much time on the phone or on a Zoom talking to people about my episode as I do actually editing the episode. Are you doing it all on your own or do you have production looking over your shoulder while you're working? Or how, how does it work? Um, you, you get the dailies. The dailies are kind of on your own. And then, you know, once you, after you they finish, shoot, you get dailies as they're shooting. So you're usually like a day behind them. And then once production on your episode is done, you have anywhere between two to five days to finish your edit, your editor's cut, and then you send it to your director. Nobody really looks at it before that. Um, you send it to the director and then the director has their four days to do their notes. And then once the dire director's cut goes out, then all the producers start weighing in. So it's a little bit of a process, but everybody weighs in in the end. Everybody gets their say. So digging into what it is that you're, the decisions that you're making in that process and going through, presumably you're going through bunches of takes and, and things like that, like what is your criteria? Like, is it just instinct? Like, I mean, you said it earlier, you have huge amount of control over what the finished product is and it can go any number of a thousand different directions, right? Absolutely. And you could give two editors the same bin of footage and get two completely different scenes out of it. And I think they've definitely done that before and it's, you know, fun to watch. But yeah, the process for me is mostly I, I'm really one of those editors that I maybe it's from the documentary background, but I really like to watch all the footage. I watch all the takes from start to finish. I'll watch what's happening pre-roll and post, you know, when they cut just to see like, oh, he smiles over there. Maybe I can use that later. And I kind of either put a marker on the actual clip or I just remember it or I jot it down somewhere. Um, and then as I'm going through and watching all the takes, I'm usually pulling the things that I think are really landing, whether it's like, you know, a beautiful wide as someone is crossing the room, I'll be like, okay, I'm definitely going to use that. And I kind of throw it into the sequence. And then if there's a great emotional performance that's in a close-up, I'll throw that into the sequence. And then it's kind of a, a puzzle where you fit everything in between those two moments that you found that you think are special and are going to stay. Then you build the scene around that. In comedy, not so much on only murders, but I also worked on shrinking and there was um, a lot more ad-libbing and shrinking. And so that was a matter of like trying out all the different ad libs in different sequences. I love an alt sequence just to see what if I can if I can do something better. You know, you cut your scene together and you're like, this is great, but let's see what it looks like if I use the other joke that they made. And then you kind of decide from there which one is the one that you're gonna present as your editor's cut. Mm. And then you always have the other one if the producer's like, did they ever say anything else or did they ever do anything else? You know? 
do you get sort of overwhelmed? Do you get sort of blind? Do you have to go and go for a walk or something? Come have a cup of tea and then come back. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, so much going for a walk, but I will leave. I will leave the scene behind. If I'm if I'm having a lot of trouble with a scene, I know to move on. I think that's with the time management. I'll say, okay, this is going to take me a little longer. Let me go to a scene that I can kind of knock out a little bit faster. Your goal as an editor while you're in dailies is to keep up with picture so or keep up with dailies. So you, by the end of the day, ideally, you've touched all your scenes, whether you've completely cut them or not. You've watched all that footage and you've um, made some decisions about how you're going to cut it. So if I if I'm very, you know, either frustrated or just like hitting a wall with a certain scene, I will move on to a scene that I know I can edit really quickly just so that I can feel that sense of accomplishment. And then I might even wait till the next morning to go back to that other scene. Sometimes I've had scenes where I have gotten them on the first day of shooting and I have not even finished them until the very last day of dailies just because I needed that time to think about how I was going to make that scene work. I mean, it, going through all that content must be over, overwhelming. But I guess the speed, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're used to it. It's fun too, though, because yeah. it is it's putting something together and it could go a million different ways and you get to figure out which way it gets to, the story gets to be told. And like I said, you have a script, so you know what the scene is about, but you get to make those like emotional connections between the characters. You get to, you know, add a funny joke where there wasn't a joke in the script. Like all those things really um help the final product become something really watchable really fun and i i do i it is a lot but i love the process Mm, yeah cool i heard once that i don't know if this is true um al pacino apparently gives like seven consistently like seven options for each each shot like i say this might be like urban myth but apparently he just does it seven different ways and just gives the director and the editors like a whole bunch of options to basically craft and sort of conduct his performance, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. Is that a lot? Too I much? would say that probably, no, I, it's too much. It's it's probably, that's probably more for a film. Like on a TV show, uh, the actors know who their characters are, mm. right? They're not, they're not really trying to figure out who they are. They've read the, all the scripts for the season. They know what's coming. They know how to play their role. So it's less about... Um, like, yes, there's different nuances between performances. So maybe one is slightly more vulnerable than the last, but overall it's, it's not going to be like a stark difference between each take. Yeah. Um, we do get, uh, you know, Martin Short, I think some, some of his takes are, he definitely goes funnier than <laughs> others, a little bit broader just to see how far he can push it. I think sometimes, and nine times out of 10, I take the broadest one because it is truly the funniest, you know? He's a very underrated performer. I mean, he's the funniest guy in America. <laughs> I seriously think he's just a genius. They're funny, but he also can really he can really do those um, emotional moments too. In season two, mm. full story arc about you know finding out that his son, um, spoiler alert, that his son was maybe not his, and I just thought he did that so well. Like we expect him to do comedy well, but when he also nails all the emotional scenes, it's it's really funny. Yeah. Are there times when you get um, feedback after you've sent in your your edit and they're asking you to cut something that you're just it's just excruciating to cut? I I think I um, 
once I've done the editor's cut and I've sort of sent it off, I try not to have much ego about it. It's not mine. You know, at that point, I've sent it off and I know the director is going to weigh in, a, a multitude of producers are going to weigh in, and then the network is going to weigh in for the distributor or whatever. And so I feel like you just can't, you can't get too attached to things. Some things are going to go. If there's something that I think is very necessary for the story, will I argue it? Of course, you know, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to be belligerent about it or say like, no, we have to keep it. If the showrunner who wrote the episode thinks we don't need this scene, then we probably don't need this scene, you know? Um, but it's, it's actually pretty rare that they'll cut a whole scene. Usually it's just like lines of dialogue. Yeah. Are there times where you have to go back and say, I don't think we have it or we need something else? Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I try to always do is the spirit of the note, right? So somebody wants something that I definitely know I don't have. It's kind of figuring out what the note behind the note is. So, you know, if someone is saying like, do we have a more vulnerable performance? If I've presented the most vulnerable performance, I think, okay, well, maybe I can change the music, um, you know, things like that. You know, so I think, and that's where I think my reality training kind of comes into play because that's the the tricks that we used to use in reality to make someone vulnerable when they're not really acting that vulnerable. It's like a really sad music cue or at a pause before each sentence kind of thing. And so I think you can really do a lot with um, pacing and music in terms of emotion. And so if the note is about emotion, I'll try to see how to attack it a different way. If it's actually like a shot of a thing someone is looking at that we don't have, that usually you you would try to let them know very early on. As That's why you try to keep up to dailies so that you know if something is missing. It's very rare. They have a script um, supervisor on set who on every show who is constantly being like, oh, we didn't get that line on camera or this, you, you've never shot this person's coverage or whatever. And so there's just like a lot of lines of defense before it even gets to me where stuff doesn't really go missed. It has happened. Like it's not usually detrimental or usually we can figure out some sort of solution or they do a reshoot and they shoot an insert of the thing that you need, you know? Yeah. I guess if you're in production at the time, it's not such a big deal to, yeah, yeah. A little harder when you're, when you're done with production. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at your IMDb and, and you've worked on a huge, diverse range of genres of, you know, film and TV. Are there conventions, editing conventions that you that translate across the different genres and the different projects? Or are you going in with sort of a blank page each time? I guess also, I guess the question is also, do you, do you have a style to your editing, would you say? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have a style. I don't think that I'd be able to tell you what my style is, but I can tell you that producers I've worked with have said, oh, I watched that episode and I knew it was yours, you know? And I don't know why they would say that, but apparently I have something that they, they recognize across different shows. I think it's really... It, depends on the project. Some of them do feel a little bit like a blank slate. I did prom the musical and I had no musical experience editing, but you know, I do, I love music. And so I, I was up for the challenge. Um, and for that one, I just did a lot of research, you know, of watching a lot of older musicals and dissecting them, seeing how things were done. I talked to a lot of editors that have edited musicals to see if there was a way to streamline the process and stuff like that. 
knowing that I was going to get just a lot of footage in. But yeah, I think overall, what's the true line? I, I think that it's mostly, it's, you know, I love characters. I love finding emotional connections between characters, whether you're on a comedy or a drama or a satire or a musical, it's finding those moments where you really can feel for a character. Maybe that's my true line. Maybe that's what people can, how people can tell it's my episode because you start feeling for the characters. Because uh, I think that's, I think that's definitely my strength is making people fall in love with characters. Well, that's pretty good strength to have as an editor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah. <laughs> This is maybe an awkward question, but I can just imagine if it's my creative baby, if I'm directing it or it's my production, do you ever get any sort of control freak people, you know, adding their perspective, trying to get you to do things that are not, is not necessarily the choice that you would make? Definitely. Definitely. A hundred percent. I mean, I think everybody has their name on this and everybody wants it to be what they think it should be. It's not uncommon to have someone who really you know, is kind of dogmatic about it needs to be this way. But I think overall, it's not like it's a fight. It's not like you're arguing with someone over the episode. We all have the same goal of wanting the best product out there, wanting the best episode out there. The director wants it to look amazing and feel amazing, whether I'm using the music cue they asked me to use or not. And I feel like usually you can you, you can come to some sort of agreement. And I'm not just I'm not just directors, producers also. We've definitely had um, differing opinions from, you know, people who are producers on the same level. And you're like, okay, well, who, who wins? You guys tell me which one. And then they hash it out and they figure out, okay, fine, do that. And then you do that. I don't, I think in general, people are pretty accommodating if you can convince them that it's for the betterment of the project. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you feel that pressure because you are the sort of the conduit between the production and and the finished article? Really, there's not a lot left really to be done, and you have created you are creating that finished piece. Do you feel a responsibility? I do, I do, but also I I know that I don't know everything. You know, I I know I have good tastes and I know I have good rhythm and good pacing, and I'm great with characters and story, but also. You know, I know somebody else wrote the episode and somebody else directed it and they they got hired because they're a good writer or a good director. You know, like we all we all have a vision. I think part of the beauty of television and film is that it's a team process. There's so many people involved in getting one episode on the air. And so it's fun to see what everybody brings to the table and to see what everybody what everybody's opinions on your work are. You know, and that's the thing when you get a note, even if it's a note that you don't necessarily agree with, you try it, you do it. And like half the time it's better because you did it. You know, you might think, oh, this is never going to work. And then you try it. Actually, it's pretty brilliant, you know. So and that's fun because then maybe on my next show, I take that idea and I implement it in a, a scene somewhere else, you know. So it's like you're constantly evolving your skills and learning. Yeah, I love that. So let's get into it. Um, what are the unique challenges of working on Only Murders in the Building? Because it's a really interesting show. It's kind of a mixture of 
genres really drama mystery comedy <laughs> um, exactly what was what is specific about that show that is the most challenging and rewarding i think the most um the like constant elephant in the room is that it's still a mystery show and so you you have characters personal storylines and that you have to contend with and you also have the comedy that you want to make sure is sharp and great but then you also have to make sure that the mystery is working that you're not leading it too much like not giving it away and also that you're not not giving anything away otherwise viewers will be like I, I don't I haven't learned anything in the last three episodes, you know, so you constantly want to be like peppering that stuff in. And some of it is script, like a, a lot of it is scripted. But every once in a while that you you have an editorial choice that you can make that either might skew someone's opinion a certain way, whether it's just like a weird look from a character or um, a sound effect to like show someone grabbing something that maybe we're going to flash back to three episodes from now. You know, like these things that you're constantly thinking about while you're also trying to make it fun and energetic and witty and smart, you're also just trying to be like, is the mystery working? And I think that's something um, we had a great post team. We had a great showrunner. And so we'd all watch each other's episodes and we'd say things like, if he says that there, then two episodes later, it's not really a reveal. And we built it as this big reveal of, a, of information. So maybe we take it out of the earlier episode. And so there was a lot of dialogue between the other editors and myself between episodes of how to keep the mystery, that through line, cohesive. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I rewatched, because I watched this, the, the season when it came out, and um, I rewatched the, uh, the last day of Bunny Folger last night. And it was such a great episode because it sort of it time hops as well. That's another element that you got to deal with. So oh, that pre- yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what what was that that process like trying to figure out the time hopping? Time hopping is I I think there's like a couple episodes where it gets a little confusing, um, but mostly I think it works. They're they're good at either you know writing like six months ago or whatever. So it's pretty obvious I think when you're watching right that you're in a flashback. I think early on in season one, they decided that they didn't want to do any like weird color treatment or look to the flashback because the flashbacks are just a few weeks ago. It's not like years ago yeah. or decades, whatever. <laughs> not a so, and time. I think that was, yeah, and I think that was really smart because it just makes makes the viewer like work just a little bit harder to be present in the episode. But yeah, last day of Bunny Folger. I love that episode. I I just. I read this script and I was actually really nervous about it because there's not that much of our main trio in it. And it was my first episode of Murders and we were following Bunny around who season one was not a sympathetic character. In fact, she was like pretty hated. I think in that one of the last episodes, she calls her a bitch or something, you know, she's not a lovable character. And I read the script and I, I kind of, thought it might be a challenge, especially because I knew the pace of that episode would be very different from the pace of the rest of the season. It's not that snappy. I think we have one scene with our trio that's like snappy and fun with jokes and the mystery. They're trying to figure stuff out. But and then the rest of it is just bunny. And yeah, but I, I was very lucky that Jane Howdy Shell was play, the actress that plays Bunny. She's phenomenal. And she just brought so much to that performance. And that's someone who actually gave me a lot of nuances in her performance like we were asking about different takes uh, or different versions in each take and she she did a lot there were some where she was a little cooler 
summer, she was a little warmer, and more vulnerable. And it really helped us to shape who Bunny was as we're telling the story of like who she really was. Yeah, because if you've built up that character for a long period of time, it would be weird to pivot to, oh, she's a lovable character now. <laughs> like, it, you did it well. It was like she still had the snark and the the, the edge. <laughs> yeah, you still had to be Bunny, but yeah. she just, you understood her a little bit more, you know? But I thought that was such a beautiful episode, and I thought it was so, so sweet that they decided to, like, go back into her life and really humanize her. And so I'm I'm really glad I ended up with that one. Yeah. And speaking of that sort of arc that you're having to sort of navigate as an editor that isn't necessarily doing every episode in the, the sequence, you mentioned that you would collaborate with the uh, production team for other episodes too, right? So <laughs> what is that process like? Is it, are you all on like a text chain, like email? All the things, Slack, right. email, text. It's very much, I'd worked with um, one of the, or two of the other editors, Shelley Westerman and Peyton Koch. Uh, we'd worked together years ago and so we already knew each other and then David Bartman had done the first episode of season two and he'd worked with Dan Fogelman who was one of our executive producers so he knew what Dan liked so you know at first it was very much like okay Dave tell us what Dan likes tell us you know that stuff and then as the season went on it was just more about the story and collaborating about well they shot for like two or three different episodes. They shot a moment where you might figure out who the real killer was or like a, a small slight hint to them. You know, we all kind of had, there was one thing that we all had in our cuts and at some point it was decided like, okay, it's going to be in this episode and not these other two. And so, but we do, we do that with the showrunner too, John Hoffman. He plays in a lot in post. Um, right. And so, he, I mean, he's the writer also and, you know, head of the writer's room. And so he was very aware the whole time of like tracking these little pieces of story. And then there was like one thing in the finale that we were like, oh, this one thing was never revealed before. Like, how can I, I, I mean, spoiler again, like, how does Poppy find out about the secret passageways? Right. And we're like, oh, right. Like we, we have to figure out how to go back. And and kind of show that maybe she, however, she stumbled across them. And so that was kind of fun because it was like going through. Oh, and also one of the things that we did at the end of the season is we, um, what is the yodeling episode? I don't Maybe it's episode five or maybe it's eight. In that one, you know, we, we bring up Howard's yodeling. And in one of the earlier episodes, Steve was texting uh, his girlfriend in jail that all you hear at night is the yodeling and so we were like wouldn't it be funny if we go back into the ep earlier episodes and like just sneak in you know yodeling when you're in the courtyard you hear it as presence in the show they'd done that with the bassoon in season one so we we like opened up some episodes and went back and added yodeling and that's something where we all had to like collaborate and talk about like okay where are you going to put it where, where are you going to put it does it make sense if it's in here that kind of stuff yeah, and that probably also makes a rewatch more enjoyable, right? Because you get these little Easter eggs after you sort of can can have it's seen it. Easter. Yeah, I love that. So, what was your relationship like with the director on that episode? I believe it was Jude Wang, correct? Yeah, uh, she was great. I mean, I think um, once she wrapped production, she was already immediately onto something else. So, a lot of our dialogue was um, via like emailed notes. So. Yeah. Sometimes you're you're with a director 
all day on a Zoom and sometimes it's just notes. Um, she was great. We, we talked a lot while she was on set about things that either she was struggling with or um, things that might be a problem proposed or whatever. So I already had gotten a heads up about some stuff. Like we had a bird, you know, yeah. this is gambling. Not the most like <laughs> cooperative bird. I don't know if you know this, but you can't really like make them do things on <laughs> Right. So with a lot of conversations of like, is the bird working? Do we have to p- do a pickup shoot of like the bird on green screen, which we did. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. And then, yeah. And then she sent her notes and she seemed really happy with the cut. And by the time we sent it, the producers were drawled with it. And then they started laying in with their notes. I think it changed a little bit. I think that is one episode that got a little shorter post director's cut. There was an extra scene of a bunny flashback, but it just didn't, it didn't really move the story forward. And so we just decided to get rid of it. And there was some mm-hmm. good bird POV shots as well, right? In that episode, <laughs> some fish islands. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning when they're yeah. like trying in, in her yeah. voice. Yeah. That was the first scene. I think that was the first day of footage. That is the first thing I cut on Only Murders. Really? Wouldn't have been luckier to get such a like great Stephen Marty bit, you know? With this show, with any show, have you ever had a performance, I'm presumably it's happened a number of times, where it's just stopped you in your tracks? Yes, yes. All, I mean, I think it, you know, you think these people get, ha- like these actors, they get cast and cast again because of how incredible they are, you know? I think Jane's was one of them um, when she, that scene particularly when she she comes to the door and gives the trio champagne to celebrate their figuring out the Tim Kono case. And she just has such a perfect kind of vulnerability. She's trying to be cool and she's trying to be, you know, casual. And then they kind of close the door on her face. And there's just this moment where her face just falls as the door is closing. And it was so perfect. When I saw those dailies, I was just like, this is this is the moment that I have to use and everything around it will just fall into place because this moment is where everyone is going to just feel for Bunny and feel so heartbroken for her. And then a second later, it's she's wailing outside the door and it's fu- funny, <laughs> yes. you know? <laughs> and then, um, you know, I've had the great luck now of I've edited Meryl Streep in The Prom and Harrison Ford in Shrinking. And there are moments where you see those actors do their thing and they just hit it so perfectly that you're like right this is why they're movie stars like I I completely get it you know these these actors just have spent decades honing their craft and they're at a point where they can just nail it in fact um this is season three I think it's it's already been announced Meryl Streep joined our cast and um we for only murders season yeah. three Meryl joined our cast and so she we had a table read and they, um, they're always great about including editors, um, to listen in on the table reads because I think we learn a lot from them. And on the very first table read of the very first episode, Meryl Streep started her monologue that she has in the first episode. And you could see everyone's zoom boxes was like jaws dropping. <laughs> it's the first time she's spoken and everyone is just like, Oh my God, she's the most amazing actress I've ever seen in, in on, on a Zoom. Um, <laughs> so, like that's that's the thing. I think some some actors just really, really, truly have it, and it's really fun to see. And I, I mean, I think that there's really amazing in season two of Only Murders. I think we have some really 
really amazing performances from all our actors. I think Selena, her episode where she's, you know, talking about her, her dad, I think her performance in there is so good. And I think, you know, I said Marty with his personal storyline and I don't know, they, they all just brought a lot of humanity to the season, not just jokes, you know, not just, not just playing the straight man or the broad character. Like they all brought levels to all their characters this season. Do you feel connected to these people because you're so you're editing them in a, such a sort of somewhat intimate way? Do you, do you feel, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. Yes and no. I think um, there's the joke that editors will see people in real life and they'll be like, hey, as if they know them. And then they realize that they're just someone that they've edited. Right. <laughs> I, I met um, Adina, who plays Poppy in season two, and I just started chatting with her as if I'd known her forever. And it's like, I don't actually know her. <laughs> She's just... <laughs> A character on the show, and she's so different in real life than Poppy. So it's not like you could mistake the two, but I just, and there is, you do feel like a little bit of familiarity, but like they don't know us, you know, like they might have seen us on Zooms or in ADR sessions or whatever, but we spend a lot more time with them than they spend with us. So it's always kind of a one sided relationship. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, So for maybe newer actors, I think there's a fair amount of actors that listen to this podcast. So it'd be interesting to get your perspective on that. Are there things that newer actors should? Okay, yeah, you're already nodding. And I can tell you. I have been I really I think I want to write a book of advice for for like the younger actors or you know newer actors and day players people who come on for just like one episode and just have um you know a a scene or a couple scenes there's so much that gets cut and it's usually just because like i i hate cutting out a character because i know it's an actor that was so excited to be on this show and i never want to like cut someone out but sometimes you have to and i feel like there are these little mistakes that could so easily be remedied. One is don't take a 20 second pause between each sentence or we're going to have to cut away from you. You know, like all that dead air. I know It seems like you want to be an actor and you want to get in the mood, but then like having just a massive pause in between each line just forces the editor to cut to somebody else. And then maybe they cut your next line, you know, because they've already cut away from you. But if you kind of just have a solid performance in a shorter amount of time, you might stay on screen for the whole time. You know, Hmm. we've, I think recently a show I worked on, they had someone they cast because she was like cool and casual. And then she came in and she was very big and very expressive with her eyes. And, you know, it was just like not the character that they thought they'd cast. Um, So I think that's, so she ended up getting cut and I felt really bad about that. I mean, I usually have more. Those are the two that are on the top of my head, though, right now. It's mostly the pauses and just not. You almost have to not want the camera so badly and then the camera will want you, you know? Right. Yeah. It would be good for younger actors maybe to try and edit something to get a sense of what it's like from your perspective, you know? Absolutely. Or, yeah. you know, you can watch. I find, like, if you watch a student film, right, like um college film student there's it's pacing is the only thing that makes it feel like a college film versus a professional television film like it's the pauses between things when you and I are talking there's not a massive pause between sentences sometimes if you're with a friend you're going to talk over them and your conversation's going to be really tight on top of each other so the more you slow down a conversation the the less people like the less editors are going to want to give you airtime you know 
Right. That's fascinating. Um, so I'm actually going to be interviewing a couple more editors coming up in the next couple of months. So oh. I'm intrigued. What what should I, what would you recommend I ask them? Ooh. But I think um, the thing that I love to hear from editors is with whatever particular project you're interviewing them about, what their influences were. I love to know, oh, I to get into the mood, I watched this, or I was listening to this music cue while I watched it, or uh, while I cut footage, you know? Especially when you're working on like a first season, how you figure out the tone and the music and what, what was inspiring you and what you thought of. I love to hear about that stuff. Mm. And yeah, process. I want to know if things are like, I want to know how much uh, ad-libbing there is, like, you know, how much people are kind of off the cuff or to the script in certain shows, you know, and I guess how they, um, how they pick their projects. I'd love to know that because mm. I feel like that's something when you get to a certain part, a certain like level of your career, you have more of a choice of projects. But for me, I find I'm really particular about the people that I work with. I just don't want to work for someone who I'm a mom. I don't want to work for someone who doesn't respect that and doesn't understand that sometimes I'm going to have to take a kid to camp and I won't be able to start till 930 tomorrow or whatever. You know, I need people who are understanding of that kind of stuff. Okay, fascinating. We're wrapping up here. I just got two more questions. Firstly, is there anything you wish other people in production knew about what you did that you do, should I say, that would help you do your job a little bit better? I think that everyone's doing their job the way that they're supposed to. You know, I don't, um, I think I wish, I know some actors who, you know, will meet you and they'll say, oh, you took out, you you always choose the worst performances from me or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know. Well, obviously you disagree. <laughs> yeah, obviously I disagree. And second of all, it's not always just me. Like maybe it was the producer who was like, oh, I don't like that other performance where they're crying. Use this one instead. You know, I that that happens a lot where an actor will give a very emotional performance and in post someone will decide it, it that's too emotional and that we need to rein it in a little bit. And so, you know, we'll maybe choose a less emotional take and then they'll be like, I was amazing when I was crying. And you'll be like, you're OK. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so finally, what would your advice be to those who are looking to get into becoming an editor? One is if you want to work on like scripted content, whether it's features or TV, you have to get in the union. So go get it, like figure out how to get your hours to get in the union, whether that's assisting in reality TV. Um, that's like a very easy way that I, a lot of people I know do it. Um, and I think that also gives you a good background to see how different kinds of editors work. I think it's use all the connections you have, go to all the things, go to all the get togethers that you get invited to or networking events. Editors are there. And honestly, we're always looking for the next assistant editor because if, if you're doing your job right, you're bringing up your assistant editor to become an editor. And so eventually you're going to lose them. So I'm kind of always looking to meet people from the next generation that might be potentially good assistant editors for me. So I feel like don't be shy, you know, introduce yourself to an editor who you admire. I've had people honestly DM me and I don't want to say that that's like what everybody should do because I don't want everyone to DM me. But like if you have something genuine to say to someone, it's no one is ever going to be upset that you emailed them a compliment and said you love this episode and could I talk to you about editing. So 
my life just to gotta meet all the people because oh they no one's gonna hire you without knowing you that's the hard thing it's really hard to get a resume that's just a name and if nobody i know knows that person it's it's really hard to hire someone completely unknown so about all the things fantastic okay well um that was that was really fascinating thank you so much well thank you so much this was really fun Thank you so much for listening to the Soundstage Insider podcast. Thank you especially to Peggy Tashjian for speaking with us today. Fascinating interview. And thank you for listening. The show is produced and hosted by me, Jamie Muffitz, and is an RPS audio production. See you next time.